Well, as we're knocking on the door of another weekend, it is the Speaking For Him podcast. I'm Adam McNutt alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gommerson. Hello, uh, Adam. It's great to be with you, and it's great to be with the listeners for another uh, wonderful Friday here on the Speaking For Him podcast. Uh, those of you who have listened for any length of time know that I'm a former homeschooler. And a while back, like a, a big while back, in our first year of podcasting, we talked about the hows and whys of homeschooling as part of a feature that I've done uh, several times called the Speaking for Him Roundtable. And we're kind of resurrecting that uh, today to talk about second-generation homeschooling. And we have a uh, home, former homeschooler who is a father um, as well as a an author, and so I'm excited to welcome Israel Wayne to the show. But before uh, we start our interview, Adam, why don't you give us our quote of the day? And this comes right out of the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou riest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. It's Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. All right, and so uh, it's with this um, passage in mind that we're going to talk to Israel Wayne about what it's like to be a second-generation homeschooler. Um, I was homeschooled, as was my co-host Adam, uh, but neither of us have any children yet, um, so we don't know uh, what it's like to homeschool in the second generation, but we welcome you, Israel, um, and we look forward to the insight that you may provide. Well, I'm really excited to be able to be part of the podcast, and thank you so much for inviting me. Adam, why don't you kick off our questions? Well, uh, Israel, we want to get to know you a little bit more first. Could you tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, well, I'll start off with my own homeschooling experience. I was homeschooled back in the 1970s and 1980s, back in the early days when homeschooling was against the law. I was uh, raised with six uh, siblings all together in our family, five sisters, no brothers, and um, so we were one of the first homeschooling families uh, in the United States, um, having begun in 1978. And my mother began publishing a national magazine called the Homeschool Digest in 1988, and she started a national publishing company uh, called Wisdom's Gate. And in January of 1993, I began working for her publishing company as the director of marketing, and I worked there for 20 years. And then about four years ago, I started my own ministry with my wife and my oldest sister called Family Renewal, and I uh, travel around the country now and write books and speak on family discipleship and parenting and marriage and homeschooling and biblical worldview and a lot of that kind of thing. But my wife uh, also was home educated. Her family started homeschooling in 1983 in Arizona, and then uh, we got married 18 years ago. And the Lord has blessed us with nine children so far. Our oldest is almost 17, and our youngest is about 15 months. All of our children have always been home educated, and uh, by God's grace, always will be. And we are uh, really enjoying this season. One of my books is called Full-Time Parenting, 
and it's uh, kind of autobiographical. That's what we're doing right now as is, is we're uh, neck deep in family life and, and enjoying this season. Well, I, I definitely appreciate that background information. I My parents started homeschooling me in 1984, I believe, and so... Um, it was, That's pretty early. It was still uh, illegal where we were here in West Michigan uh, as well. And, uh, of course, they rejoiced um, when cases like the DeYoungs allowed them to have the legal right to do what they were already doing. Um, I'm thankful because they pulled me out of a very um, bad special education system uh, where I probably you know, would have kind of been a slave, for lack of a better word, um, because I probably would have graduated from there um, and uh, been projected as dumb because the curriculum was dumbed down. But as a result of being homeschooled, um, despite my physical disability, which involves that I have cerebral palsy and, um, and I'm confined to a wheelchair, I was able to graduate from college with a bachelor's in communications in 2006 and I currently work at a Christian school uh, doing teacher support. So I'm very blessed um, f- for what my parents did to help me through my journey and the fact that they took it upon themselves uh, to take my schooling seriously. Um, I just wanted to get an idea of, of how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. Well, I'm very thankful that uh, I was instructed in the scriptures from the time that I was young, and uh, that held me in good stead. Uh, you know, I'm one of those Christian young people who was raised in church and um, never really walked away from it. So I'm really thankful for that foundation that I was given. I, I don't have the killer testimony that some people do of you know I mur- murdered 95 people before I turned 14 or anything like that, but. Uh, as a child, thankfully, in God's grace, He allowed me to see my need for uh, repentance and to recognize the claims of Christ as being true, that He is the only way to salvation, and that there's no amount of good works or effort that we could ever do that would make us um, acceptable before a holy God. And so I was able to see that it was only through Christ's blood through his atonement, that I would be able to be reconciled to this God that uh, I was currently uh, separated from. And so, uh, as, a, as a young child, I trusted in Christ as my Savior and, and have, uh, have never looked back. So, I'm thankful that I have never had to have the kind of experience that some people have of having spent years, uh, you know, wandering uh, in rebellion against the Lord and then trying to unlearn all that and undo all that. Um, I've, I've been very blessed in my life so far. Um, uh, could you, you talked a little bit about your time as a homeschool student and the way things began and your mother's uh, definite influence there. Could you talk about how that impacted your decision to homeschool? Uh, was there ever any doubt that that's what you would do? Yeah, there was at a certain point. I mean, I remember having a discussion with my mother when I was 15 years old, and I said something to her like, homeschooling isn't for everybody, and different strokes for different folks, and and I I don't think there's anything wrong with public schooling, and uh, I wasn't necessarily saying I wanted to go to public school, because I didn't have any complaints about my own home education experience. I sort of liked 
learning at home and I had gone to two years of private Christian school in second grade and sixth grade and had some comparison of what classroom education was like and frankly didn't do very well in that environment. I was dyslexic and ADHD and so I, I just didn't do well there. Uh, I liked being homeschooled but you know I just thought hey you know there's different strokes for different folks and my mother said something that actually really became pivotal for the trajectory of my life. She said, I would like you to do a study on what the Bible says about education, and I would like for you to write it down and and come back and show me what you find out. And so I started doing that at that time, and um, now, you know, over 25 years later, I just finished a book uh, that has uh, been released this week, actually, and it's called Education, Does God Have an Opinion? And it's the culmination of 25 years of study on what the Bible says about education. So I'm pretty excited about the book, but also excited about the opportunity to share with other people what I've learned as I've uh, endeavored to find out what Scripture says on this topic. Well, I've never personally met you, but from I actually got kind of connected to your ministry because my mom followed you for a while on Facebook, and she really liked a lot of the stuff that you posted. And so I, I believe I do follow you. Um, and then, of course, we connected in the homeschool support group there on Facebook. And so I'm really interested to pick up this book and check it out. And um, I, But I think based on what I know of you, I can already recommend it to my listeners. And I, and I, I, and I, and I like what you said there about your mom challenging you about God's opinion on things. Because that's one of the main... Uh, goals here at speaking for him is for us to look at things from God's perspective always to start out there. Um, and I, I would say that I understand from working in, in the inner city Christian school that I work in, that it's not always conducive uh, for certain people to homeschool. And I definitely think we're helping uh, people in their certain place that they aren't in life. But I think a lot of times we as Christians like to dwell in the exception. Uh, Whatever the issue is, we like to look for the exceptions instead of, like you said, doing something because it's the right thing and allowing God to work out the details. It's kind of like um, the family size issue because my parents had 12 children and my brother and sister-in-law just had their fifth and they were already getting grief from people after they had four. You know, and to me, it's a grief to my heart that four is considered this large family because I went, I grew up in a big family, the oldest of 12, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I wish people would realize the true blessing of children instead of the commodity nature that we seem to approach it with today. Well, two, two comments I'd like to make on that. You know, you're absolutely right that people like to look for exception clauses because they feel like if they can find any exception clause, then that negates a rule. And so oftentimes in discussion, you'll find people pushing to the furthest extreme to find that one exception to a situation. And if, if one exists, then they like to claim that they're, 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 there is no rule then, and uh, which, of course, is a fallacy. And then on the second point about children, um, one thing about evangelical Christianity is that Christians are largely pro-life, evangelical Christians are, which is good, and I'm thankful for that, Uh, but evangelical Christians overall are not 
predominantly pro-child. Um, in fact, we have a very negative view of children as a an evangelical culture. We think of them as a nuisance. We think of them as a financial drain. We think of them as an impedance uh, or impediment to career and to income potential. Uh, we don't even like them sitting in the service with us on Sunday morning. Um, everything about our culture uh, tells us that children are a bad thing, and for the most part, Christians have allowed themselves to be informed by culture rather than Scripture. But Jesus had an extremely high regard for children, and we should as well if we're uh, his followers. Absolutely. God has not provided me with a help meet yet, but I uh, look forward to God answering that prayer, and I hope to, to raise as many children as he gives me in the future. So I'm right there with Amen. you. And like I said, I love being a big brother to 11 siblings. So I, yes. So, <laughs> so I just... Well, I, so you I know, ch- thank, you, thank you for your ministry. I'm excited. I, I'm really grateful that you are uh, a voice and that you have this podcast. And um, it's, it's too bad we haven't met because I think we actually live relatively close to each other. So we're going to have to find a way to remedy that. It would be great. And, and I would definitely like to have you on in the future to talk more specifically about um, any number of your books, probably. Um, but continuing on with this discussion, um, what do you think is the biggest factor... Um, that you can deduce for um, why homeschoolers don't choose to homeschool themselves. Because one of the reasons that I decided to do this podcast is it seems to me that a lot of homeschoolers that graduated uh, the year I did in 1998 don't homeschool their kids. Correct. You know, obviously it's a a matter of personal choice, and I'm not going to stand in judgment of everyone every day for not doing that but knowing the struggles that my parents went through to have the right to do this for us just makes me want to do it all the more to maintain their legacy yeah well there are a number of reasons and we may talk about a couple but i'm going to boil it down to one i think the dominant reason why homeschool graduates do not homeschool their own children has to do with lack of relationship with their parents. And on one level, you would think that that's a given. You would think that if someone is homeschooling, they automatically are expressing that they care about their children, they love their children, they want the best for their children, and that big a big reason they're homeschooling is they want to spend time with them and be with them. Unfortunately, though, in practice, uh, what I have observed is that a lot of parents, especially mothers, become so frustrated and stressed out during that season of homeschooling that they sort of lose sight of the big picture and they just allow the stress of their um, environment to create a negative dynamic where they push their children so hard to succeed academically, uh, but they don't really take time to just enjoy their children. They don't take time to have fun with them and just enjoy being a family together. And so uh, the homeschooling process becomes very tedious, and the children feel as though their parents are unhappy for the cause of unhappiness. And so I think there's a sense in which, as parents, we need to be very mindful of the subliminal messages sometimes that we may be sending to our children. I think those parents did love their children, and I think they did want the best for them, but I think they just sort of lost sight of the big picture and got so consumed with the how-to and the functionality of homeschooling that they they lost sight 
of the fact that the ultimate goal is is relationship because if you lose relationship you lose influence and if you lose influence then it doesn't work anymore i also think a lot of it comes down to validation um because i was talking um to a to a stay-at-home mom a few weeks ago um who volunteers at the school where i work and she was saying that um she's in a season of her life right now where where she loves being home with her kids but she feels like she's put some of her skills on the shelf in order to be a mother. And, and I just try to encourage her uh, with C.S. Lewis's quote, which is, children aren't a distraction from the most important work. Um, they are the most important work. And the interesting thing about that was when I told her that, she said that that was actually a quote that she had been meditating on previously. So it's just interesting the way God worked that out. And I, I really do think that's a big part of it, though, We've decided as a culture, even a Christian culture, like you said, that we're not going to validate motherhood as a high calling. And so, therefore, many mothers don't feel like it is because we've we've abdicated that as a high calling. Yes, absolutely. And I think there are other factors. You know, I know there are a lot of homeschool graduates who are raised in very strict homes where there's not a lot of affection or where there's a lot of legalism. Or some, in some cases, hypocrisy. Um, there are some families where the mother has poured so much of her life into the children that she has neglected to maintain a proper emphasis on her marriage. And so there are couples who have severe marriage issues, and um, and if the marriage isn't strong, that's going to have uh, underlying problems with the uh, children as well. Um, so there are a number of different factors that I think people use to um, to feel like I don't want to go through that myself, and I'm going to choose a different educational path for my my children. What I would encourage those homeschool graduates to consider, though, is that the ultimate test of of how you should teach your children has nothing to do with how your parents taught you. I mean that that's not the plumb line. The plumb line is what does Scripture say. And what does God expect for you as a parent with your children? You need to go to God's Word, find out what God requires of you, and do it. And if you can point out and see fallacies and flaws in the way that you were raised by your parents, which you will, um, then here's my advice. Do better. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. recognize their mistakes. Acknowledge their mistakes, not in a bitter way, but just hey, we all blow it. We all make mistakes. Recognize those mistakes and then commit to do better. I think that's the approach we need to take. And I think that's one of the best things my dad ever did for me is he told me that he wanted me to be a better dad than he is. And, you know, for a dad to say that Mm. to his son, I think is, is very key and not to be afraid of that. You know, like you said, we should, our source should be God. And so, you know, our parents have flaws, and unfortunately, I have parents that freely admit their flaws, and they want us to be better uh, for having for having uh, gone through our childhood with them as parents. So I, I just think that's very encouraging. I have a friend uh, named Kirk Smith, who's the executive director for the Illinois State Homeschool Association, and we were at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and he made this comment that he said, I, I want to be the worst father in 10 generations of Smiths. <laughs> and I had to think for a few minutes about what, what he even meant by that. <laughs> but he was just trying to say that he 
wanted to set uh, the bar so that his his children realized that they they had uh, not only his permission but his desire that they go farther than he did. And uh, I, I thought, wow, that's that's quite an quite an insight and, and quite a way to look at it. That you know, our goal is we we can only go so far with our own limitations and uh, uh, from our upbringing. Um, but our children hopefully can do better than, than we have. That's the goal anyway. Okay, Adam, you've been sitting there listening and absorbing. Um, and as I said, neither of us are fathers yet. But do you have any additional questions for Israel? I do, actually. Backtracking a little bit, I find it so odd and unfamiliar to me because I started being homeschooled in 2002 that homeschooling was illegal at one time. What was it like being homeschooled knowing that it's illegal? Like if school kids got out of school down the street, you have shut the blinds or like what what was it like back then going through that? Yeah. Well, you definitely didn't tell people that you were homeschooled. I mean, a lot of us had some sort of school name for our homeschool. You know, like Lighthouse Christian Academy or something like that. And <laughs> if people ask where did you go to school, we'd usually tell them something like that. And um, you know, if you if you got caught not going to school because of compulsory attendance laws, um, a truancy officer could show up at your door or Child Protective Services, and you would have to go to court. Now we ended up having to go to court several times over the years for home education. That was actually the major impetus between me being in private Christian school for two years was legal battles related to homeschooling. And uh, we were told by the judge, uh, my mother was told, you have two options. You can either put your children back into a public school or you can have your children taken away from you, put into foster care. You'll have your parental rights terminated. You'll never see your children again. And, and they will be put into public school. So which one would you like to choose? Oh, wow. And my mother chose option option C, private Christian school, uh, which she believed was a, a biblically allowable option. But um, she had a conviction against uh, an anti-Christian education for her children. And so um, we spent uh, two years in, in private school, uh, my older sister and I did. But, yeah, it wasn't nice. And, you know, no, none of your family members would support you because... It just had never been done before in their lifetime. They'd never heard of it. They thought it was crazy. Churches were not supportive. Pastors were not supportive. There was no homeschool curriculum available when we started. None of the publishers, uh, even the big ones that, that later became known, like Abeka and Bob Jones and ACE, none of those would sell to us uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, there were no homeschool conventions um, you know, we didn't meet another homeschooling family until about the mid-1980s. We saw a family in a health food store. This is out in Maryland, where I grew up. And um, they just had a certain look about them. And somehow our two families kind of danced around each other in the uh, health food store for a very long time. <laughs> Finally, we, you know, somebody, somebody struck up a conversation, and eventually we both figured out that we were part of an underground secret society. And Turned out that they were a non-Christian unschooling family who owned a mountain in West Virginia, and they lived up at the top of this mountain, off grid, with no electricity. And you know, they were into raising dairy goats and chickens, and, uh, and growing their own herbs, and probably some herbs they smoked. And you know, I don't know, they were kind of a hippie culture unschoolers, but we did have some commonality with them, just because we were both part of this underground thing, and, and we didn't even know. 
I mean, we started homeschooling. We didn't know anybody else who homeschooled. And uh, I remember going to the Virginia State Homeschool Conference in 1989, and they had their first ever teen homeschool party. And uh, it was four Virginians and me, and uh, we had we, we got together uh, there at Liberty University and had pizza. We were the only teenagers in the whole convention, four Virginia teen- teenagers and me as a representative <laughs> from Maryland. And uh, so I, w- I went back, you know, that was 1989, I went back, uh, I don't know, two, three years ago as a speaker at that same conference, and they had over 10,000 people there. It was just phenomenal to see how crazy the the growth was from what it was back when we started. And, and, and that was actually 1989. I mean, that was 11 years into our homeschool journey, and, and it was just still such an, an infinitesimal uh, movement compared to what it became. I mean, now... It's it's like two and a half million students in America being homeschooled. It's a completely different paradigm. All right, so let's get into a little bit of the nitty gritty about homeschooling. What would you say is the hardest thing for you about homeschooling? Uh, being a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, what makes homeschooling hard is the same thing that makes everything else hard, and that's relationships. And so, you know, I wish my parent, my wife and I were perfect because that would make it so much easier. We we wouldn't uh, have a tendency to get frustrated or angry with our children. Uh, we wouldn't have false expectations. We, you know, we we wouldn't alternate between pushing them too hard and being too lazy and flack. Um, you know, and and then the fact that our children are sinners too, it makes it very difficult. And uh, you know, I, I think that's really the toughest thing. It, the way I look at it is uh, homeschooling is nothing other than, than parenting with academics. I mean, that, that's how I look at it. And so if the family dynamic is working and if relationship is working, then homeschooling works. And if the family dynamic and, you know, your marriage and your relationship with your children, if that's not going well, homeschooling is not going to go well either. So for us, it's this constant state of, needing to go back to the Lord in prayer and go to each other in repentance and forgiveness and just allow the Lord to um, heal those relationships when we've been unkind to each other, when we've been stressed out and responded badly. Uh, to, to me, that's the hardest part. What is the biggest blessing of homeschooling? The biggest blessing of homeschooling, I think, in my worldview, is obedience. I think it's the fact that God has directed us to teach and train and disciple our own children. And in doing that, as difficult as it may be at times, I think we feel the pleasure of the Lord because we're doing things the way that He has structured them. He didn't create institutions to raise children. He didn't give children to the government. He didn't even give children to the church. He gave them to parents. And so I think the greatest blessing is just knowing that we're following the path He instructions that the Lord has given us, but then closeness and relationship. You know, as I mentioned, it's messy, it's ugly sometimes, um, but the, through it, you know, you get through it, and you, it's like marriage. You figure out how, how to make it work, or it's like your sibling relationships when you're growing up. I mean, that's messy sometimes. You have, Nobody asks for their siblings, you know? I mean, it's like you can pick your friends. You don't pick your siblings, and sometimes it's messy and it's ugly, but at the same time, um, if you allow forgiveness to take place and mercy to take place, then those relationships can be some of the strongest friendships that you ever have in your life. 
and they carry with you through your life, ideally. And so uh, it's the same kind of thing, I think, in the homeschool dynamic, that the, the hardest things and the most difficult things are also the most blessed things if you allow the Lord to use it as a sanctifying process in your life. Okay. Uh, well, one of the reasons that I that I did this show um, is that I just want to encourage people uh, that it that it is a viable thing because I, I I know there's a lot of people that I run into that say, well, I would I I would consider homeschooling, but I don't think I could do it. And as we've already talked about, there's all kinds of resources and conventions that were not even thought of when you and I were uh, beginning the journey of homeschooling because it wasn't even legal. Um. So, uh, what's the biggest myth that you hear people outside of our community um, give about homeschooling, and what would you say to dispel it? Yeah, well, first of all, I'd like to just recommend two websites for people. Uh, if you live in Michigan, where I live, uh, go to inch.org, I-N-C-H.org, and uh, consider attending the Inch Convention in Lansing. It's always the third weekend of May. Um, that's a great place to get um, information on curriculum as well as hear great speakers. But the other website for those uh, nationally or internationally is hslda.org, and you can learn a tremendous amount about homeschooling on that website, find out the laws in your state, and uh, get plugged into state and local homeschool associations through their website. But, you know, I think there's this thing that I call the cult of the expert, and it for generations now, we have had uh, teaching that parents are incapable and incompetent of raising their own children and that they need to step back and let the experts do it. And unfortunately, that has crippled a lot of parents into believing that there is that they just don't have the intelligence, that they don't have the stamina, they, they don't have the know-how to be able to... Uh, again, you know, you're the parent, and... I think we're skipped by the academic portion of it, but there's so many things. There's, there's video tutorial, there's online tutorial, there are co-ops, there are, you know, where, where other people can teach certain classes. The academic side, you can figure out. There's a, a myriad of ways to be able to teach the academics. Um, you just have to believe that no one cares more for your child than you do, um, that no one knows them better than you do, and you are the most important, most influential person in their life. And you can use that. You can leverage that to, um, to, to be able to uh, teach them and, and maintain that bond as opposed to sending them off to someone else and having that allegiance shift from you to someone else and having them become the most important, most influential person in your child's life. Uh, I just encourage you to believe that God gave your child to you for a reason and he, he uh, has equipped you. He's given you everything you need to be a parent uh, to your child. And so everything in Scripture says you're called and capable and qualified. Um, everything in the culture tells you you're none of those things. And so I would just say get a biblical worldview and um, listen to the voice of the Scripture as opposed to the voice of the culture. Well, and if we're looking at the Scriptures, uh, there aren't very many qualified people that God uses. <laughs> God uses mostly what the world would consider as unqualified people. So if you go to the source, you'll find that you are just as qualified as all those other failures in the Bible. So I find that very encouraging. And um, 
So I just have a couple more questions. Uh, first of all, do you have a favorite story from your homeschooling years, either as a student or a parent? Ah, uh, favorite story. Oh, well, you know, there were so many things that I enjoyed uh, about education. Um, you know, the fact that I could have the education tailored around um, myself and my learning style, as opposed to having to be force-fit into a standardized educational model, which is what government schooling does. Um, I'll just share this, and this will probably you know scare people away from homeschooling, but <laughs> why not? <laughs> my mother uh, recognized when I was nine years old that I just didn't really have an interest in learning. I, I didn't know how to read at nine. I was... Uh, just not a good student because I, I couldn't read. And um, so I was disinterested in anything academic, especially anything language arts oriented. And so she tried to ask herself, what was my interest? I only had one interest, and that was baseball. And so my mother created her own curriculum at that time. That Everything that I did for a whole year was essentially a customized unit study on the topic of baseball. So as a nine-year-old, I had I studied the history of baseball and everything that was going on around that. Uh, so whenever I was studying Babe Ruth, for example, I'd have to look at what else was happening in American history and world history at that time. Um, studied integration as the, the Negro Leagues uh, you know, were coming into integration with Jackie Robinson and baseball being integrated. So that kind of taught me about like the civil rights movement and some of that. And, and then I um, learned about... Uh, economics from having to write a proposal as though I were bringing a baseball stadium into uh, a community and I had to try to pitch it to the city and explain to them why this would be financially advantageous for them. So I had to study, I had to do research to find out what the potential revenue was, what the cost would be, and sort of do a cost-risk analysis. I mean, I'm nine years old, right? Um, I had to write a, a paper on the physics of a baseball and what makes a curveball curve. I figured out how to do percentages by figuring out batting averages and ERAs. Uh, all of that happened in, when I was nine years old, and my mom just created a curriculum where everything I learned, science, writing, uh, reading, um, history, all of that was based around baseball. And you can't do that in a government school, no. but in a homeschool <laughs> environment, you could. And, you know, that's, it's pretty radical um, and some people may say, well, that doesn't sound like a good education. It, it motivated me to learn, and uh, I, I think it's incredible. I, I think that's one thing that I notice when I see people, new homeschoolers, posting on the support group that we're a part of is they're always worried about how do I get such and such a subject. And, it, and, we, and it's always good when I see people encouraging them that it's okay to take a few months to figure things out to unschool, if you will, and then put in the things that, that they know they will be good at. Because even as a five, six-year-old kid in the public school, one of the things that first opened my parents' eyes was the fact that they were trying to get me to do things that my parents knew I would never be able to do instead of focusing on the things that I already knew how to do and developing those skills. And so I definitely, and I don't know if it's because I'm a homeschooler or what, but I think that baseball-oriented curriculum is an awesome idea. I wish that I had been able to pitch that to my mom several years ago, uh, because that sounds like it was, <laughs> sounds like it was a good year for you. So 
Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. It was for, a very, very good year. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Thank you for uh, being on the show today. We really appreciate it. And, yes, I do hope that we can meet up before too long uh, because that's actually one thing that I would like to do is begin to speak at homeschool conferences. So um, that would be, yeah. an, that would be well, an hey, awesome Well, hey, let's keep in touch. And I would invite uh, your listeners to try to keep in touch with me as well and For those who would like to join me on social media, um, on Facebook at Israel Wayne Author, also at Family Renewal. Um, My personal page is Israel.Wayne, and our website is Family Renewal. So if you want to join our email list, you can go there and uh, at FamilyRenewal.org forward slash subscribe, and we can keep in touch with you that way. But we would sure love to be able to uh, connect with the listeners and uh, hopefully be able to meet you in person at a homeschool convention or we I travel around and speak and do seminars around the country so uh, always love to be able to get to spend time uh, meeting God's people all right well one final question that I have that I often ask my guests is do you have a um, life verse or a particular favorite Bible verse that you'd like to share with us oh wow that's interesting um Boy, I, I don't think I have a life verse. There are a lot of passages that are very meaningful for me. Um, one, one that I guess comes to mind in this context is Psalm 34, and one of the passages and one of the verses in there, it says, Listen to me, my children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and that concept that our children will learn the fear of the Lord from us, that we'll teach it to them is a pretty radical concept, and we have to have the fear of the Lord ourselves before we can teach it, but uh, we do that through through systematic instruction, but also through modeling and just living in the fear of the Lord ourselves. And so, in this context, I think that would be one of the passages that uh, comes to my mind right away. All right, well, thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it, really enjoyed getting to know you over the phone, and uh, thank you for your insight. Folks, uh, I really think that there's a lot of quality stuff in this interview, so I hope that as you're listening, you're taking notes, and uh, you know you can download this podcast from my website at any time, and so you can share it with others free of charge, and go on my website and find the other uh, great podcasts that are up there. Um, just also notice that you can you can find all the websites and the contact information that Israel mentioned, I will have those on my blog post uh, for this episode, which is, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to throw it out there um, because I know the timing will work out. It is episode 238 of the Speaking for Him podcast. So you can go to the blog uh, for um, my podcast, which will be listed at the end of the show, and you can find the resources there. So thank you again, Israel, for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful evening. All right. Thank you, guys. God bless you. All right, guys. Well, that's this week's show. I hope that you uh, have a wonderful weekend and that, as always, you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, 
Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 